Your fastest pace should be at the end of your race. Your fastest pace should be at the end of your race. Have you thought, I wonder if my best days are behind me? Or are they still ahead? Has a mix of regret or missing out or wondering, looking in the river mirror, made you question, are my best days ahead? I don't know. Your fastest pace should be at the end of your race. And then it's just... This actually isn't really related to age as much as we might initially think it is because my eight-year-old daughter sometimes feels like she's missing out when her four-year-old brother stays home and she's at school. What's he doing that I don't get to do? <laughs> right? So it doesn't really matter even what age we are. We have this, this FOMO, this fear of missing out that we just wonder culturally, am I missing? Am I missing it? If I'm too young, what am I missing out later? If I'm too old, did I miss it as my time passed? When it shows up, it shows up all over the place. And just with a quick survey of, of cultural things, we see it in beauty, how it's fleeting, and how you look at magazines or things like that. And obviously, that's just an easy illustration to go, wow, that goes really quick. Or I wonder how we define that. Athletically, uh, I love watching football and even just now off-season, the draft and everything else. I'm just fascinated by that. And apparently, at my age, I'm old and not worth putting a contract together for. I just turned 35, over the hill, <laughs> so done physically. I, really? Come on, come on, I've got a little bit left. Nope, not on a football field. So even physically, athletically, those type of things, things we just, we age out. There's preference towards this youth, and it comes to building wealth. I remember just, oh, my grandpa passing on good advice, start young and saving. There's this thing called compound interest. If you start younger, it's stronger than starting later. Well... What if you didn't start till later? <laughs> Too late. We wonder, did I miss out? I mean, building wealth, buying a house in this market. Man, if you didn't buy a few years ago, good luck. This fear of missing out. Maybe, maybe I just missed it. And this, the interesting thing about our culture is that this culture pushes us to accomplish so many things early that at an early age, we can feel this pressure to perform, which then very quickly and suddenly flips. And we wonder, did I miss my chance? I don't know, maybe this is partly what happens with midlife crisis or other things, but, but it's this dichotomy, whether we're young, wondering if we're going to miss out, whether we're old, then I miss my shot. It, it seems to catch us all no matter what age we find ourselves in. So we mix in a bit of regret, a bit of insecurity, a bit of cultural preference for youth, and we very quickly think we've aged out of effectiveness. But it's not true. It's not true. So I'd be foolish and naive not to recognize that there is some things that change with age. Obviously, I'm not saying that. But I think it's also important to look biblically and recognize the, the value that's come for kingdom impact regardless of age. I mean, one of the verses, whether you go to middle school camp or high school, I know for me in college, my favorite verse was 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no one look down on you because you are young. Yes, I love that verse. Now, for those that are young that love that verse, read the rest of the verse. <laughs> Let no one look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers, and it goes into a whole list of characteristics, speech, life, conduct. So holiness, obedience, spiritual maturity actually isn't tied to age, it's tied to obedience. But what happens in that context? Not just Paul writing to young Timothy, don't let people look down to you because you're young, but if you just read, again, everything in context, a few verses later in chapter five, it talks to older men, older women. And we see this value that comes in the whole body of Christ being used. So Let's not fool ourselves that we've aged out of kingdom effectiveness. Let's watch that. There's a, there's a better way. As followers of Jesus, our quickest pace should be at the end of our race. So 
So how, how does that look? How do, how do we do that? Okay, so a little spoiler alert as we go into Deuteronomy. Moses dies today. Sorry, so I figure it's gonna come eventually. Just throw it out there so you can get that out of the way. So turn to Deuteronomy 34. We're looking at the end of Moses' life. We're looking at the end of Moses' life here. And I think there's a lot in here as, a, as we look at the end of his life that calls a challenge to us as followers of Jesus. How do we end well? How do we walk with God through, through ups and downs and, and do that in a way that honors God well? So let's turn to Deuteronomy 34, the very last chapter of the book. I'll read the first three verses here. It says, then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pishkah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Western Sea, the Negev and the plain, that is, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And he lists all these places because we find ourselves here at the end of Moses' life, right on the cusp of the Israelites about to enter the promised land. And this, this is a promised moment. This goes back generations, hundreds of years to God's promise to his people to bring them to this point. And they're right at the moment about here to step into it. And this is not simply an imaginary place. It's not a, an empty promise. It's a real physical location. And so as he lists these spots, there's a map here they'll show behind me. I wanna just kind of walk you through some of what he's talking about here because when he talks about the spot Mount Nebo is what we're zooming in on, and as he lists these locations, he's drawing Moses' attention north, and then he lists the locations counterclockwise down through the map. So Jericho that he mentions is straight across the valley, and then he goes all the way down to the Dead Sea down there. And so he's saying as you look across from Mount Nebo over into the promised land, you can see this vastness before you. This is what you're about to inherit with God's people. Now, just for those of you that appreciate the interesting historical facts here, the interesting thing about Jericho, the city of palm trees, that little phrase there, it's an oasis, and it's historically the um, most longest continuously occupied oasis city in the world. So there's always been a settlement around Jericho, as far back as we can go in recorded human history. And so Jericho there is a fascinating kind of centerpiece there, but it's looking across into the promised land from Mount Nebo. Now, an interesting thing about Mount Nebo is if you go there as a tourist today and you put on your binoculars and start to look at these locations, you can't actually physically see all of the locations mentioned here in the text. So this has given rise to a couple of different options, kind of speculative, what could be happening here? So in, in go back in church history, and there's some interesting uh, theories around this. Potentially, this has given rise to some people thinking that like Elijah ushered into heaven, that maybe here in this spot, God raised Moses up and he was able to survey all of the land physically with his eye before he's ushered into eternity with God, which is why later we'll never find his burial site. Interesting, maybe. Now, that doesn't have to be exactly what it was. As we look at this spot here, it could be that from Mount Nebo, as God directs his gaze north and then swings counterclockwise through it, he really is saying, there is this vastness, even as far as your eye can stretch in all directions here, this is what the people are about to inherit. And so they're about to enter into this land. And regardless, it's sinking into him that right in front of him is the spot that God had promised so many years prior. Let's go to the next verse. Verse four, 
It says, and the Lord said to him, to Moses, this is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. Now, why can't Moses go in? If you've been reading through the text with us, you'll, you'll remember from weeks past in our reading that it's been described. So God doesn't repeat it here for Moses of why he can't enter the promised land. But just a few chapters prior in Deuteronomy 32, it, at the end it says this, I'm just summarizing. The Lord spoke to Moses, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel, you will not go in. Numbers 20, the first 13 verses there is the, is the story of, of where Moses is there with the people and they're thirsty and they want water and they beg and they call him. So Moses goes before God and God says, speak to the rock and let water flow miraculously to provide. So Moses and Aaron hear that from the Lord and they go to the rock and, and several things happen in that account, which God never told Moses to do. He calls the people, you rebels. There's a frustration in his spirit you can hear in that space. And then what does he do with the rock? He doesn't speak to it. He strikes it twice. As he strikes it twice, this may seem fairly trivial to us, but, it, but here God goes, no, this is not what I asked you to do. God takes sin seriously. And a consequence here for Moses and Aaron's action is they will not enter the promised land. So it's reiterated here. This is the land that was sworn to your forefathers, but you are not to go over and as we pause here for a moment and think of the, the humanness of this situation, this was Moses' life work called by God to, to free the people from Egypt. On behalf of God, a mouthpiece of God to these wonders that would wow Pharaoh and, and move the people out of Egypt, that Moses would lead God's people by God's hand through the wilderness to bring them to this spot. This was Moses' life work and he wasn't to see the culmination of that in the promised land. He now knows this journey, because of his sin, would end before he enters. Do you think he regretted that moment? My goodness. Do you have regrets in your past? You know, some of us like to say that we live with no regrets. I, I get that. Okay, sure. Live with no regrets means you can't go back and change the past. You learn from things. That's a nice saying. We all have regrets. <laughs> okay, I'll share with you one of mine from about a week ago. Okay, so here's just a week ago. I, uh, I've got so some basic uh, yard work that's been put off. Let's just start there. Anybody done that? Avoided yard work? Why aren't more hands up? Come on, try that again. Has anybody avoided yard work? There we go. Now we're engaged. Yes, we've all been there. And even some of you still weren't raising your hands. Okay, so elbow somebody next to you. But we've, we've got this... I've got this limb that snapped in a storm, I don't know, over a month ago, and it's, it's you know, about four or five inches in diameter at, at the tree, and it's, it's a ways up there, and it just cracked and kind of is awkwardly leaning over one of our walkways, and I've avoided it. It's annoying. You got to get a ladder out. It's just one cut. So finally, Valentine's Day, I'm going to do this. I get out, get the ladder out. It's just one cut. You don't need safety gear for that, right? So you just get up on the ladder, about eight or 10 feet up. I'm cutting the limb right in front of me, but it's already snapped and it's got this massive amount of tension built into it. So right as I go through it, you know what happens, just bam, right in my face. So I've got this giant branch that smacks me right in my face, cuts the top of my eye. You can, it's amazing, it's actually not still just massively purple and bloody. It was last weekend, it was, some of you noticed that in the lobby. 
But for my eye, just bloody, I come down off the ladder. First thing I do is call my brother, who's been an ER nurse. And I'm like, Daniel, what should I do? And he's like, well, if you're calling me, you should probably go to the ER. <laughs> so, ah, brilliant. Clean it up, you know, kind of feel sick and nauseous. I'm sure it was some kind of mild concussion there. And, and what would I do different? Oh, so many things. I regret that. I'm going to live with this stuff forever. And apparently it was good for a sermon illustration. But we have... We have regrets, okay? And whether they're trivial like that that come in yard work things that we've done that are dumb, whether it's more significant, we see past sin in our life and there's shame around that. We wonder, how could God use me? The thing that's beautiful in Moses' story here is that even though he sinned in that moment, he knew it. There was consequence in his future. He ran hard and pursued God and was known by God face to face and was faithful for years to continue to move people to the promised land, even though he would never inherit it himself. Have you written yourself off from what God might still have for you because you're living out of some regret that God hasn't disqualified you for kingdom work? Maybe you've just disqualified yourself. Lean into what we see here in Moses. Moses knew the consequence for his sin, but he didn't live, leave, live in a way to let those past regrets define him. The prohibition against entering the promised land had not separated him from God's presence. And the beautiful part about Moses' story as you then fast forward into the New Testament and you see Jesus, the next time you see Moses, he's with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses and Elijah are there with Jesus. Where? In the promised land. He was there, but not yet. So as we continue, let's continue reading in uh, chapter 34, verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Now, now, got something on my Bible. Now, this section actually brings up just some interesting kind of historical notes. Who, who wrote the book of Deuteronomy? Here we're recording Moses' death. So there's, there's a couple different ideas of how this could work, but as we look at the first five books of the New Testament, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, specifically Deuteronomy here, who wrote it? Now, very possibly, very highly likely is it was Moses. There's no reason God couldn't have prophetically revealed to him how he was going to die. And so Moses would record all of this writing and hold this together, was revealed to him as, as a prophet that knew so much from God and the way the Spirit revealed it to him. And so Moses would have written this knowing his death, have this cataloged and given to Joshua before he headed up to Mount Nebo. Very, very possible. Could have revealed this chapter here. Another highly likely Possibilities that yes, Moses wrote much of it, but here, even as we see later, as, as inspiration moves from Moses to Joshua and God's spirit would lead to Joshua, Joshua could have written this final chapter. The spirit could have revealed to Joshua to close out the book of Deuteronomy. And so you have this account here held together. Lastly, maybe a possibility, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that a scribe would, would collect these works of Moses and, and the, the final chapter here to pull together and hold for the people of Israel. But, but regardless, we see here that Jesus, that, that Moses passed away. Now look, look here at a, a statement uh, that I want you to 
kind of highlight. It says, no one, in verse six, no one knows the place of his burial. Why? As I mentioned earlier, maybe it was the fact that like Elijah was taken up, but, but I, regardless of that as an interesting side note, that if he's buried there by the Lord, I think the significant thing here is no one knows the place of his burial and the gravesite was kept secret to prevent people from going to the gravesite and inadvertently worshiping or praying to Moses because Moses had done incredible works. Moses had led the people in powerful ways, had spoken on behalf of God, had come down from the mountain with his face glowing with the 10 commandments to to speak to the people. That on behalf of God, Moses had communicated powerful things and done wonders in the midst of people. And pretty quickly, the memory of Moses could be Moses, that great man. And so instead of seeing God working and acting and sovereignly powerful, it would suddenly drift to praying to Moses or bringing things to Moses and interceding to Moses. How quickly we can shift our eyes off the God who provides to those other people around us. So his gravesites kept secret because at the end of the day, Moses is dead. (laughs) Only one person came back from the grave and that's much later. That's Jesus. We worship Jesus, not Moses. So why was the grave secret? I think primarily just so that we don't Go to his grave cipher, accessible, accessible, that offerings to him might actually end up becoming worship. So let's avoid that. That's not what's to be happened. So for as amazing a man as Moses was, the point is he still died. God used him powerfully. He ran his race well to the end, but he passed away here as it's recorded. Let's continue on verse seven, verse seven through nine. So says, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. I love that. Vigor unabated. We'll come back to that. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses died because he reached the limit God had set for him. All of us have a limit. Moses' limit was 120 years old. He died the height of physical strength. He had just finished leading armies into battle, a scion, Og. You see here him hiking up Mount Nebo alone. I mean, that's that's no small hike. Let me think about different Mount Sai and other things around here. It takes a lot to get up the top of those type of heights. So he's strong at this spot. He's vigorous, as it would say, in this spot. And today, in our cultural preference for youth, we'd often be quick to write off somebody 80 that would lead a people for 40 years. But God didn't. God called Moses and used him powerfully. Used him powerfully. It's not true that you can age out of effectiveness. Has, has maybe retirement from a day job confused your spirit, spirit from retirement from what God might have kingdom work. Has, has no longer that passion that was initially there for reaching the loss of what God would have you faded because it feels like, I don't know if maybe my best, best days are behind me. Uh, I love um, two different names come to mind and I could list off so many others. But Carol Allen Ankins, my wife's grandmother, there's a book on our shelf that speaks about some of her, her story. But Caroline Ankins was born in 1928 in Australia. She was born in 1928, and then in 1988, do the math, 
60 years later, she left for the mission field for the first time. Felt this is what God had called her to do, and that was a period of her life where it made sense, it worked. So financially, she wasn't set, but she had a passion for Jesus in a, in a prayer life unlike any others, and she headed to China with a suitcase. All of her worldly possessions, she lands there and connects in with some other mission agencies and, and relationships and, and ends up serving the poorest of the poorest in the dumps in that environment. And as she does, the gospel powerfully impacts people. 17 years later, after much incredible ministry and stories and connections and God just miraculously moving in situations that are remarkable, she goes back to Australia nearly 20 years later because physically she was just a wreck and the doctors were able to see just all through her body horrendous diseases. She passes away a few weeks later. But you can know she finished her race at her quickest pace. My goodness, to stand before her heavenly father who would say, well done, good and faithful servant. The kingdom of effectiveness doesn't end at some point. But kingdom of effectiveness can only pick up as God would use us further and further into our walk with him. Not, not only Carol, but I also think of, uh, of Jim. Here at, here at Highlands, Jim Munson. It was back in December where Derek and I sat down with Jim Munson and, and kind of explained what we were considering and looking at. And so Jim is in his 70s and we sat down with him and he's been in retirement and said how much he's enjoyed it. You know, he can disciple when he wants. He can do the coffee conversation that goes for two hours and nobody's you know, paying him. So he can just, he can navigate and do what he's, he's loving retirement. You, you know the line. And so we sat down with him and said, we'd like to invite you into a role of our transitional campus pastor at Highlands Kent. As we go through the search process and the staffing side, we realize we need to add additional support here as we continue to trust who God has long-term. And Jim, you've got an incredible spirit of vitality and enthusiasm and a spiritual gift of encouragement that is needed right now. And so I remember sitting down across the table from him at lunch. And he, first of all, he was shocked. One of his first things out of his mouth wasn't like more details or what are you talking about? He was like, do you know I turn 73 tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, so, okay, just wanted to make sure you guys knew. Like, I probably don't have that much longer to live. I'm like, oh, wow, Jim, yeah, that's, you just said it right how it is. <laughs> but Jim, God has his hand on you. You've been a pastor longer than I've been alive. <laughs> Why wouldn't we invite you into what we think right now is a season of ministry you are perfectly poised to do? So he wisely said, well, let me, let me pray about it. I don't make these decisions without prayer. I said, I wouldn't anticipate anything different. And that prayer included going home and talking with his wife. Good move. <laughs> Other people in his life that speak into him. And he called me later that night and said, why would I say no? I love the church. I love what God is doing. I wanna see more people come to know Jesus. And if, if my local church needs me to step into an area, why would I say no? And with an incredible, gracious heart, Jim has stepped in. This morning is actually over at Highlands Kent. Leading this morning will be leading communion like we will be taking in a little while. Because Jim understands that the quickest pace of his race is gonna be at the end. And he can step in and there's a wisdom, and there's a discernment, there's not a, here's what I did for 45 years, Nick, so here's what the plan is. But no, he's instead saying, well, let's step into this. Let's pray together. Let's discern what God is doing. And I can tell you, some of my best times during the week are my one-on-ones with Jim powerful effectiveness in ministry. 
that he's not aged out of effectiveness. And there are other people, a part of Highlands, now, regardless of the age that may think, well, maybe my death best days are behind me. No, it might look different. Sure, things change. But your spiritual effectiveness is not done. Look at Moses, vigorous, his unabated in his energy to the very end, what God had called him to do. Let's look at the last several verses here, verses 10 through 12. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. The last three verses of this book kind of encapsulate the epitaph of Moses. He was a prophet, but it's not his knowledge of God that's stressed. It's not even his wonders. They're mentioned here that are the main focus, but, but go back to verse 10. This is beautiful. There's not a prophet who's risen since and are like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Oh, would that be on our epitaph? Whom the Lord knew face to face. That our pursuit of God would be core to who we are. That Moses, the great wonders that he experienced and did throughout that could have been a part of his, his lasting testimony here. And it's mentioned briefly, but it's the fact that the Lord knew him face to face. What will your epitaph say? Will it simply say, cruise to the end, had a passion to start, but it faded? Was more concerned with a status quo, keeping things as normal? Or was it that ran the race fully to the end. Moses knew the Lord face to face and was fixated on what God had called him to do. He did all that God called him to do. He spoke the words of God to God's people and he ran hard all the way to the end. And Moses ultimately was only a dim picture of Jesus, the one who would come to fully give himself in service. John would later write that Jesus was the word, the logos, the one God's spoken word now in person. Moses wrote much of the Pentateuch here and laid the foundation of so much of what the later prophets would refer back to, so much of what pointed ahead to Jesus, so much of what in the Gospels Jesus would reference back to the writings of Moses, so much of what the early church in Acts, when the sermons were first given to gospel proclamation, they'd often quote back from the Old Testament. So much of what Moses wrote was foundational, yet Jesus, when he came, became the word, and he says, I didn't come to abolish it, I came to fulfill it. All that Moses did pointed towards Jesus. And so Jesus comes and beautiful message of the gospel put forth where he says, if you believe in me, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to Father except through me. So Jesus then becomes the one that we look to and we call Lord. Moses anticipated looking ahead. And Jesus fully was that person that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be saved. And now whether that's something that you have proclaimed today, you did 10 years ago, five years ago, 50 years ago, let us keep that same urgency of a gospel proclamation on our minds. Let us finish our race well, sharing the gospel with as many people as we can as possible. Let our fastest pace be at the end of our race because with age comes a momentum, comes a 
wisdom, comes a maturity, comes an ability to sacrifice more because we give up what we love for what we love most. And as we get older, we realize that's often people. That's people who we love the most. Those who have loved Jesus the longest have the most to sacrifice. Why? Listen to the words in Matthew 28. It says this. Jesus came and said to them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what I want to be about. So Christian, all are equally loved and yet the lost are the priority. The lost are the priority. To reach people no one's reaching, we often have to do things no one is doing. And so this is a legacy to love our kids well to love our grandkids well, to create an environment where they too can know the truth of ever unchanging truth of who Jesus is, but often in a context that at times will make us feel uncomfortable with what things are worn or done or ministry started or not there. And as we hear music styles and preferences change and adapt, we remember this is ultimately to reach people for Jesus. And I wanna be part of an environment that sees the lost as the priority, that embraces Jesus's words here in Matthew 28. And who did Jesus often make the most nervous? It's the religious people. Those far from him were often the ones the most comfortable to come close and he would completely transform and bring from death to life. I wanna be a part of a community like that where my kids and their kids can stand on our shoulders because of the sacrifices we've made to see more people come to know Jesus, to keep Jesus the main thing so that as our race picks up, our best days are ahead of us no matter what the age is. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that we can come to your word and see people like Moses and others who pursued you, God. And ultimately, it's not about them. We don't go to their graveside and worship them, God. It's, it's who they did this for. God, it's for you. And so we want this to all be about you. Jesus, would you capture our hearts? God, first we come in praise to you. This is not about us. This is about making Jesus' name great sharing the gospel to a world that desperately needs it. So would you open up our hearts and our mind to quickly recognize your provision in our life? God, would you form us into a community of young and old to serve you with a singular focus of helping those in our community come to know you. May it never become about us, our wants, but always about you, your name, and how to care for those your spirit brings to our midst. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray, amen.